Hi, thanks for tuning in. You're listening to From A to Gen Z with Connie Castle and Jala Brazel. Cultural commentary and celebrity chat from two Gen Zers. So how are you doing today, Jar? I'm so hot. I'm so <laughs> I'm so hot. Also, for some strange reason that I haven't fully understood yet, my frame of reference for being really overheated temperature wise is food so I keep saying things like oh moving everywhere is like walking through soup which oh, yeah which is quite a disgusting image like I don't know why I just stop that or like I'm sitting in a hot room and I just say this room is an oven and I am the baked potato <laughs> but there's no why is it so food related I just don't know no, but I really do feel like a baked potato right now, actually. <laughs> you don't look like In one. the foil. <laughs> oh, it is just too hot. I think I've seen so many memes this week that are like, 30 degrees in London is so different to 30 degrees anywhere else. Have you seen that? Yeah, like, well, It feels like true. an absolute furnace compared to like any other country. I think it's just, it just gets so hot with like concrete and mm. going on any form of public transport is like actual torture at the moment because <laughs> there's just no air conditioning anywhere. Like no, even no windows. It's a bit... Sweaty upper lip under the mask oh as well. Oh my God, Masula, she's out. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. I actually, I, I, I haven't told you yet, but I fainted this morning. What? Because it was so hot. <laughs> you what? It's kind of normal for me because I do have really low blood pressure. But I think it's just because like, I don't have a desk in my room at the moment. So whenever I'm on my computer, I'm like on my bed and it's quite low. So like getting up from the bed to standing. Head rush. I get the worst head rush. And then today it was just like... You know, it usually subsides, it just, like, didn't subside. And I was like, hmm. What, so did you just hit the floor? So basically, I, I know you have to try and get your head down. So I, like, <laughs> I was obviously in a really weird state. So I, like, just got, like, yeeted myself <laughs> onto the floor, basically. Um, and so I I think I actually passed out, like, on all fours, like, with my butt in the air. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Downward like, dog. It was pretty much downward dog. Like, it probably was, like, the least attractive. <laughs> position because usually people faint like with a hand to their brow like is that true princess i i don't it was not that you are a beautiful princess (laughs) thank you even when you're in downward dog (laughs) yeah it was not a very gainly position to faint in not gonna lie to you so jar what have you got for us today well, I've been reading Pandora Sykes's new collection of essays, um, How Do We Know We're Doing It Right, which have been really interesting, to be honest. She basically takes topics that, I don't know about you, but they're things that I have felt kind of vaguely uneasy about for a while, but haven't really given that much thought to, like wellness or fast fashion or the work-life balance, stuff like that. Um, and... The way I describe it is she basically just thinks the shit out of them. (laughs) She just really goes in on kind of deconstructing the thought traps around those kind of topics. Um, And she says in the introduction that the aim is that we find satisfaction in the good enough as opposed to constant self-optimization and this obsession with constantly being your best and constantly maximizing your time and money and everything like that. Um... And it could very easily stray into sounding quite, like, preachy. Yeah. But she kind of... She avoids that really well by by turning the analysis on herself when, when she can. So in the fast fashion chapter, she talks about how she's sort of complicit in 
the whole problem because as someone with a huge social media following um she often posts things that are gifted to her which she hasn't had to buy which perpetuates the problem that when you are following an influencer they make it seem like their life is attainable in a way that for quotes the average person it just isn't possible to you know have like designer products all the time um so that's really nice because it avoids sounding I don't know judgmental over the things she's talking about um she also does just have really good turns of phrase she calls Klarna you know the credit service that you can buy stuff online by paying in installments she calls it the Regina George of a credit (laughs) because it's a bad bitch oh my god (laughs) which I just love love that (laughs) so good um yeah, I've made it sound quite serious there. I mean, it's really, it's very crisply written. Mm-hmm. So it's heavy, it's heavy stuff that she's trying to dismantle, but she does it in a very light way, which is always good to read. Um, I wanted to read a bit. One of her ideas um, is the idea that women are flattened. Um, so as I understand it, it's that, that one part of their identity is kind of maximised and becomes like their defining feature. Right. And that's basically because it's way easier to market to someone who thinks of themselves in a very kind of restricted way um oh, so that's really in- so like companies yes it's yeah. in their interest okay exactly yeah so social media and you know social pressure and everything like that it's very much in the kind of capitalist interest to make it seem like you're just one thing um but she writes she writes this about it I know we are told that women are now ready to be seen as angry and assertive and that we no longer crave modifiers such as sweet and nice. But I do. Not just because men expect it of women, but because so many women still rate each other based on how sweet they are and I mostly look to other women for acceptance. This is one of the most crucial aspects of the flattening of women. While the desire to be seen as graceful and gracious is the byproduct of a patriarchal society, that does not mean that the messaging only comes from men. I just thought that was that was so well put because yeah. I I just really empathize with that because you want to think of yourself as we've actually spoken about this before about oh, the potentially we? problematic phrase girls girl. Oh, I don't remember this. Oh, not well. Read. It's fun. But that's. I think that's almost what she's touching on. Is that you want, you want, to be liked and to be respected by other women almost more than by men. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course. <laughs> men. <no>. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's so. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting. But equally the qualities in you that are appreciated by other women are still kind of dictated by, um, yeah, qualities that are not. Yeah, no, it's so, it's, I I was thinking about this kind of thing, not exactly, but kind of thing recently because I got, like, rejected from this job and after the interview, the guy was like, oh, you know, we could really see that you're, sweet and bubbly personality but it was because it was in a rejection I was instantly that it just really annoyed me that is I was like that's I was like that's why I've been rejected because they think I'm basically dumb or like not as because they were basically they were sort of saying the other candidate answered the questions better but they were like oh but we really appreciate how nice you are and I was like okay that's just so annoying for me because I obviously come across as 
like this nice, yeah. like sweet person, mm. but not as intelligent. I think it just reinforced that idea in my head that like, you can't really be both. Like yes. you can't be the serious girl who like answers the questions right and be sweet and yeah. what is it bubbly? Which I hate the word bubbly anyway because yes. I kind of think I think sometimes it's used as a like oh she's not great but she's like she's bubbly I don't know I just don't like that one but that is that is weird for someone to say that to you after an interview as well because that's what you say like after a date like yeah you were really nice and I really enjoyed speaking to you (laughs) like okay but what about all my qualifications (laughs) but yeah that is an example of flattening because it's implying that you can either be quote nice and bubbly or you can answer questions intelligently and get the job but you can't be both so it's it's exaggerating one aspect of your personality at the expense of other qualities that you definitely have (laughs) so what have you got for me Connie (laughs) so um I was thinking of talking about uh Gwyneth Paltrow's essay in Vogue today which um it's called conscious uncoupling has permeated breakup culture um and it basically looks back to her announcing her separation from Chris Martin in 2014. Um, and yeah, basically the essay, I, it starts kind of just talking about her, the breakup of like the breakdown of her marriage, basically. And then she moves on to discussing the public reaction to her um, announcement and the particular phrase that she used, which was conscious uncoupling. Um, and then she kind of explains what the process of conscious uncoupling is mm. and how it's sort of been adopted by other people now mm. um, and people who kind of initially ridiculed it now are mm. kind of seeing the benefits of what she actually meant. Mm. And it was ridiculed. I remember it happening at the yeah. time. And it's it was surprising reading this because I, I do remember when she first used the phrase and in the press and how people spoke about it just in person... There was no room for it being considered as a serious no. phrase or a serious idea. It was just, what a joke. How can yeah. she not just use the word divorce? Exactly. I remember yeah. I thought the exact same thing and everyone just really assumed that she felt that she was too good mm. to, to just say, announce she was getting a divorce. It had to be like a classic goop yeah. kind of making like a high faluting <laughs> like, thing out of it. A new age like way to get divorced. Yeah. When actually in the essay, she describes it, that part of it is written really well, I think. She describes that it's actually a very kind of emotionally mature approach to separating from someone with whom you have children and you have a lot of history and you've built a family with, etc. But also there are some bits of it which are less, I don't know, which are a bit more, I don't want to say dodgy. (laughs) When she kind of says like... I've always been a person who says what I believe to be true um, and that that's what Goop is founded on, talking about things that people have called me crazy for, like yoga, Reiki, macrobiotics, and then she says anything about vaginas yeah, as that's, well. Yeah, that's such a weird... Because it's so, it was so funny reading it because it struck the perfect tone most of the way through mm-hmm. of like not taking herself too seriously, being pretty open and emotionally upfront about what she was saying giving you know details of her marriage which is a very high profile celebrity relationship yeah. which you don't normally get from the first person perspective and then she just says you know like she was she was pushing products about vaginas which was the jade egg thing that you yeah. to put up there and they made scientific claims for it which are just like not even untrue but quite damaging 
<laughs> she has really promoted, and she promoted yeah. steaming your yeah. vagina as well, which then doctors will said, don't do that, yeah. you can burn yourself. I Yeah, I don't know why you would ever think that was a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> so her, yeah, that's the only, it was a slight off note, her putting that in as kind of a, it, it was like it was meant to be a joke, but it's really not a joke. <laughs> yeah, and also I just, I thought that that whole like, oh, people have talked about things and they've called me crazy for it. But it's basically she's trying to market really yeah. weird, unnecessary health <laughs> treatments. It's, like, it's, it's not quite the same yeah. as the divorce, like the conscious uncoupling thing, I thought. Yeah, and that's sad because it undermines the, the conscious uncoupling yeah. thing, which actually could be, you know, a good message. Yeah. So lumping it in with all the, you know, yoga and... Well, yes, I think nice, she did herself a disservice there by yeah. basically saying it's another one of my weird things, <laughs> which is exactly what people thought when they heard it. <laughs> well, so better luck next time with that, Gwyneth, but, you know. Also this week, um, I watched the kind of very controversial Channel 4 show, How to Lose a Stone in 21 Days. Um, I was telling you that I actually only heard about this because of like a basically a content warning that I saw on social media from the eating disorder charity Beat, mm. um, basically saying there were their helplines were going to stay open till like nine pm when the show was on to support people who mm. were concerned watching it or like had like triggered by a negative experience or something. Um, yeah, and I I didn't quite realize how like how kind of serious the the diet is. I've watched quite a lot of these like kind of diety shows like. Um, super size versus super skinny. Mm. Don't even watch that. And like secret eaters, um, love those. But this one is basically it's kind of centered around like the pandemic, and because mm. it's been filmed right now, so it's kind of like uh, focusing around losing the lockdown weight that people have gained. Yeah. Um, and they actually said that two thirds of people have admitted to putting on weight in lockdown, um, over the last few months. But they kind of. So they took five people and then they like weighed them and did loads of tests on them to see how their weight was negatively affecting their health. Mm. And so some of them had like pre-diabetes or like type 2 diabetes, um, high blood pressure and stuff mm. like that. Um, and then the premise is like over the, th- I think over three weeks, so 21 mm. days, they lose a stone. Which is such a short amount of time. It is, it is a really short amount of time. And so th- he's put them on this 800 calorie a day diet which I really think is kind of insane because they admit on the show that most of them were eating probably 3,000 before mm. um, to have put on, like, however much weight they put on. Um, but, yeah, that is, like, having less than a third of your usual food intake, I think, would probably take a big toll. And they did, a few of them said they were feeling, like, really tired all yeah. the time. Um, they didn't have any energy, things like feeling dizzy and, like... Oh my god! Yeah, that's which is quite <laughs> terrible. Yeah, it is quite bad. I think. I mean, to be only eating eight hundred calories—that is so little throughout the day. I'm just remembering seeing adverts for like that Pizza Express pizza with a hole in the middle that's five hundred yeah. calories. So it's it basically be... just like less than two of those a day for everything. Yeah, for everything. I love how that's my <laughs> reference. Sorry, <laughs> but I do remember seeing that as well and being like, "Oh my god, how many calories is in a real pizza?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Without a hole in the middle. <laughs> Um, yeah, exactly. So, uh, and actually, as part of the show, which is kind of crazy, he shows them a meal which is worth eight hundred calories, and it's literally like a baguette and some crisps, and not like a whole baguette, like a sort of <laughs> half, like a smallish. I mean, maybe not small. Like a relatively normal sandwich and crisps is eight hundred calories, and that's all they're going to get in have. a day. Which is so. I thought I thought it was kind of accepted now that these crash diets are just not 
a good way to go. Like you yeah, need to, I thought my so. understanding is that you need to lose weight gradually over time and that's how yeah. you keep it off but also how you don't get these adverse side effects. So it is a strange choice that they've decided to do. And the other thing is, I feel like people have enough stresses at the moment. I Definitely. Mean, there's people are losing their jobs left, right and centre. Coronavirus is still a very present concern and I don't know. I feel like there's an argument to be made that adding more worry about taking quite extreme diets in order to lose weight yeah. is just maybe not the way to go about it. I definitely agree. Um, and yeah, because one of them actually had lost their grandma to the coronavirus. Oh. And he was like, oh, you know, I've been comfy eating a bit. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Grandma died of like oh, virus. Yeah, and a couple of things they mentioned. They said like they had these nicknames like the Corona Kilos and Lockdown Belly and stuff, which oh, I just dear. thought I just really exactly. I just don't think like you said. I don't think people need that much. Yeah. Like another extra stress on it. You lose your job. Yeah. Your family members are dying, and you don't really want people to be like, oh, look at your lockdown belly. Yeah. And it's always yeah. worrying when they come up with phrases that are that, like, hashtagable, do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, that are that snappy, because you just don't want them to enter general discourse. No, definitely not. Yeah, so I think, on the whole, I just thought it wasn't a particularly healthy approach. Like you mm. said, I think people, if you have the, carrying the extra weight from the lockdown or whatever, crash dieting isn't going to work. Mm. You're probably just going to be incredibly hungry after eating 800 calories. Yeah, after eating a baguette. Exactly, after <laughs> eating... Well, he, yeah, but I think it's like low-carb keto or something that he's oh. actually put them on. So it was like the equivalent of one oh, baguette. I see. But it was like a really... It was like having a bit of yoghurt in the morning and then these pizzas, in inverted commas, that they made, which was like a mushroom with tomato paste and cheese on it. Oh, which they kept saying they were really yummy, but... I kind of don't believe that. <laughs> it's not exactly a pizza, is it? <laughs> it's a mushroom. Myth yeah. busted. <laughs> and now on to the biggest pop culture drop of the week. <laughs> Last Friday, WAP came out by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion. And wow, it's, it's really made an impression, hasn't it? It is. Mm. It's a work of art. Mm. In itself. It's beautiful. Um... The video is really what everyone's talking about, yeah. isn't it? The well, song itself is is crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's very explicit, yeah. one might say. Um, <laughs> it's, it's amazing how much how much innuendo you can you can yeah. spin in a few verses. That's what it's taught me, anyway. Shall we play a little extra? Yeah, let's from do it. it. <laughs> So that was that was Cardi B's first verse in WAP. So what it what do you think about the vid, Connie? What's your takeaway? It's crazy. Mm. It's really crazy. Um, I'm not. I, I do think the CGI is a bit. It's a bit wild, mm. but I. I mean, I love it. It's like a visual feast. It is. Um, there's so much going on. Um, their outfits are crazy. Yes. The backdrop is kind of crazy. The, I like the idea is kind of they're in sort of a mansion and like yeah. each room is different. Mm. So Cardi B has like a leopard room or is it, is it leopard or is it tiger? I think it leopard is leopard. Room. And she, uh, Megan Stein has like a uh, zebra snow kind of snow leopard. leopard. Maybe. <laughs> snow tiger. I mean the animals are, I don't know, wildlife is not my speciality. But, True. You know. Yeah. It's like a black and white stripy. Yeah. Yeah. Zebra, um, snow leopard, <laughs> same difference. <laughs> um, yes, 
just love it. The lyrics are hilarious. Yeah. I think there's quite a lot of... Well, that's the thing. It's because it's they balance... They balance very explicit sexual lyrics with just stuff that's really funny. Yeah. Like, the swipe his nose like a credit card. I mean, that is... Nice. That is gold. And yeah, and I thought the... I want you to touch that little dangly thing that's swinging the back of my throat. It was really funny. <laughs> that is just that just is that she funny. couldn't like she just didn't name the thing. She couldn't bother what to Google it, called? but she just said that little dangly thing. <laughs> that is kind of her mo though, isn't it? Because in I like it when she talks about the Balenciaga boots, the ones yeah. that look like socks, and it's like fair play, they do look like socks. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. And it's so it. funny. I don't know why it's just so funny. <laughs> Yeah, thought it was great. Um, did you have any like deeper takeaways? From yeah, it? anything that isn't just like wow, it's a leopard. Yeah. Um, well, I thought it was interesting. There's no men in the video. Oh, yeah, love it. So, which is kind of more unusual than you would think, considering that there's loads of like sexy dance moves happening. Yeah. Um, and also, I think it's nice the way that Cardi B has managed it because obviously there are loads of cameos in the second half of the video it's basically taken up with um the camera kind of goes into these different rooms of the mansion and in each room there's an artist kind of doing their thing um which is great exposure for people who aren't as famous as cardi b yeah and on her instagram throughout this week she's been posting kind of behind the scenes footage and photos of those people filming those scenes and just being like um this this girl is so good like she's working so hard she's at the top of her game which is just a really nice message to have and the opposite of quite a few lyrics that's kind of always putting other people putting other women who are rappers down yeah whereas she's clearly doing the exact opposite here and trying to raise their profile and like bring them up with her yeah i love that yeah so i thought it was really good other women Mm. um yeah i saw something as well i think it was brianna holt in complex said that um their powerhouses of female sexuality independence and dominance um and that is kind of a the video is like a role reversal of a usual like the usual male rappers video where he's like talking about his sexual prowess or whatever Mm. um and like showing off his wealth Mm. like his mansion um is kind of like a female read like own reappropriation of that yeah absolutely um especially songs like like genuine like my pony kind of vibes (laughs) that is like this like i guess the opposite of that that they're like talking about there yeah female stuff (laughs) love it (laughs) um yeah what else what did you think of the kylie jenner bit i mean what is there to say really i think it's i think it was made massively more awkward by the fact that they cut the music Mm, during her like walk down the corridor I think that's the main mistake they made because also as all the YouTube commenters pointed out, cutting the music does make it sound like she's about to drop a verse when actually she's just like going into one of the rooms and then we never see her again. So yeah. Yeah, I think maybe an odd choice considering all the other girls. I mean, the other girls at the end are um, like artists, but they had, they like danced basically Mm. and looked a bit more, they kind of part of the video, whereas Mm. her bit was just a walk. Yeah. Um, well, they're performers, whereas she true, and she's not. Isn't. But then it's is kind of like why is she <laughs> if she's not a performer. But anyway, it's um, clearly a savvy kind of PR move, though. Isn't yes, it? that was what so... I thought because mm. I saw like there's been a change to all petition to remove her from the video <gasps> that got five fifty thousand signatures. 
which is a lot of singers. Well, a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people obviously hate the Kardashians and stuff. Um, but Cardi B like defended her and basically mm. said she wanted a mixture of ethnicities and stuff in the video. It wasn't all about like just about black women. I mm. guess it's about all women empowering each other and whatever. Mm. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think she kind of served her purpose by getting all this publicity. Yeah. Because now everyone's talking about it. Yeah, exactly. She's in it. Has there been any other responses to it apart from the Kylie Jenner general disapproval? Uh, well, I saw that Carol Baskin of oh Tiger King fame, <laughs> throw back to that, um, has kind of like she's commented on it and condemned the use of exotic animals. Not oh, surprising wow. because there's big cats in the video and she kind of said like the video glamorizes kind of exploiting animals and like normalizes rich people having exotic animals right, as pets yeah. when they shouldn't be kept as pets yeah. um hilarious also even funnier a republican figure I can't, i'm actually not sure what his job is um james p bradley commented on the video and said this is what happens when children are raised without god and a strong father figure <laughs> <laughs> and said that he wanted to wash his ears out with holy water after listening to the lyrics oh my god. <laughs> That is absolutely superb. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> Filthy language. I'm going to wash my ears up with holy water. <laughs> so we've spoken about WAP and that beautiful intro. There's some whores in this house. <laughs> now should we talk about some other whores in some other houses? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we both recently started watching the tv show harlots Mm -hmm. uh, which is currently streaming on bbc iplayer but i think it was originally made by someone else i I think it's hulu and itv encore i'm not sure but it's been picked up by the beeb hasn't it yes so we're thankful for that yeah um and it seems to be like from a couple of years ago but we've only just yeah we've only just discovered it um and we're on the first series and i'm loving it i'm loving it yeah um, I wasn't sure when I first, like, with the first episode, I think, like, a few, you know, a few minutes in, mm. I was kind of like, mm, is this for me? I was obviously watching it with my mum. It's quite <laughs> racy. There's a lot of, um, thrusting buttocks that in those first couple of minutes. male buttocks. Maybe we should say what it's actually about before oh, yeah. we plunge into <laughs> the, the ass. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's set, actually, I'm not 100% sure which year it's set, but it's, it's 18th Mid-1700s, yeah. Okay, yeah, mid-1700s. Um... And it's basically about two rival brothels mm. um, and the, like, prostitutes mm. that work for them. Um, yeah, I would say. And one of them who... The one who you're kind of, like, on the side of. And then mm. there's one that's kind of evil. The one that you're on the side of, uh, she's got two daughters as well. Mm. And one of them is, like, just coming out sort of, like, into society slash mm. becoming one of the harlots mm. as well. Um, that's part of it, is that the diction they use is so i find so interesting because they call they call all the sex workers harlots and they call the brothels cunny houses oh yeah because <laughs> that I've must be from the, the time cunny. it must be historically accurate though yeah and what was the other one they said quim i think which yeah, must have been a swear think, word and they, meaning... there's something they use prindle or something yeah for like penis <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's yeah, so I, I really like the language they use. And also, they say stuff that sounds really modern apart from the phrasing. So there's one bit where Margaret Wells, the one you were talking about that you kind of yeah. implicitly Sorry, are on the side of. The um, there's a bit where she's annoyed with her daughter and she goes, 
damn you for a stupid slut. <laughs> You're just like, that's so funny. Sentiments. Yeah, exactly. Not much changes. Um, but I, I thought it was so interesting because we're really used to seeing period... I mean, we're period drama. Yeah. Fanatics a bit, I'd say. Junkies. Yeah, junkies. Can't get enough. Um, but we're really used to having a character in those sort of conventional period dramas that is it's not the fallen woman but she's like racy and raunchy and she's normally kind of duplicitous and has no loyalties and all this kind of stuff um but as we were saying in the opening credits of the first episode of harlots oh yeah it says one in five women made a living from sex work in georgian london where it's set so already you're in a completely different kind of viewing perspective because it's it's completely normalized yeah yeah it's it's really interesting like thinking of it as a period drama because that's also how i i remember i described it, it yeah. to you i was like it's kind of like a normal period drama but it's just much racier yeah. but it is it's sort of it's sort of like the other side yeah. to the period dramas that we would be watching like i mean jane austen was writing like i don't know 50 or 60 years later mm. but it's kind of a similar mm. ish time and it's just like the completely the other side that you wouldn't have seen yeah it's kind of interesting and the way it presents sex is so different from how sex is normally yeah. presented in those kind of shows. Because so it's so different, yeah. It's either it it's transactional, it can sex can be about revenge, it can be about money, it can be about just wanting to get some stability. Yeah, it's basically anything but romantic. Yeah, exactly. And it's not erotic at all. No. I mean quite often it's just it's like, like they're funny and yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're rolling their skirts up, there's not a lot of nudity. No. That's actually another thing which I think makes it I don't want to say it's historically realistic because obviously how would we know but it feels like it's more accurate to the attitudes you would have if you were in that world yeah is how they're presenting yeah and sort of pragmatic and you know and I think part of that is the nudity aspect because it's it's created by two women oh right um, Alison Newman and Moira Buffini um and I think that really shows because, again, in conventional period dramas, when they have like a saucy scene, yeah, it will be a topless you know, woman. Oh yeah, and the undoing of the corset and lardy bloody da. Yeah. Whereas in this, it's so often like in an alleyway, hoik your skirts up, yeah, just give a few coins, and then you know, on your bike. Yeah. <laughs> Do they have bikes? There? Probably not. Probably like the penny farthing yeah. <laughs> On your penny farthing. Um, although we should say, I mean. It is funny in parts, but I think yeah. the tone is its strength because it also doesn't shy away from the from the disturbing aspects of what it would yeah. have been like. And the kind of disease yeah. element of it, because obviously a lot of people then would have had like venereal disease yeah. from modern medicine. Yeah. There are some bits, I remember I think it's the second episode with that um one of them kind of goes to like a gentleman's estate oh, and yeah. he is basically terrifying. Yeah. And you do realise like how much of how much they're at the mercy yes. of the client and vulnerable how, yeah yeah they're yeah so vulnerable but um, the fact that every exchange isn't like that yeah i think is what because they have space to explore all the different kinds of relationships within that i don't know economic transaction you get you get a real sense that obviously some of it is really violent and degrading and horrible yeah. but some of it is very much not like that yeah um and the idea of having um, like a wealthy man having a mistress that was kind of like living in luxury as mm. well. I I didn't really 
I didn't really hear about that as much. Mm. I remember sometimes, like, in the National Portrait Gallery, there's, like, a, a picture, I think, of one of the... I think it was, like, King Charles, one of their mistresses. And I just remember mm. that when I watched um, how one of them is, like, kept by a wealthy yeah. man. So it's, like, not all prostitutes were living in, like, the actual gutters. Mm. Some of them were really brought up high. Yeah, well, that's the whole point, is that it's a route. In a world where you sex is a commodity, it's it's kind of one of the very few routes for women to gain independence and to yeah. to rise up the social ladder. And that's part of it. I mean, you sympathise with Margaret Wells, yeah. one of the kind of rival boards, um, but she also essentially sells the virginity of her daughters off to the yeah. highest bidder. I mean, it is that, it's that kind of brutal. White, yeah. yeah. Um, but... It's just absolutely fascinating. I can't believe it's taken this long for me to find out about it. Yeah, I had no idea about it either. I just saw, mm. I think it was featured maybe on BBC iPlayer, and I was like, oh, give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's really good. Yeah. I would highly recommend. So, Jar, do you have Disney Plus? Well, I do now. I got it just to watch Black is King, the new visual album by Beyonce. Oh my God, I haven't seen any of it. Yeah, well, it's if you don't have Disney Plus, then... Yeah. Although it's a weird parallel, because I remember when Lemonade came out, and this is such a throwback to 2013, but um, was it 2013 or 2016? I think it might have been 2016. Yeah, maybe but it was maybe 2016. Yeah, because we were in our last year of school. Anyway, yeah, I remember I had like an iTunes voucher, which in itself seems yes, like, very strange. Yes, that is. They used to be in Sainsbury's all the time, yes. like by the tills. They're the not there anymore, voucher. though. Oh, they're a relic of the past. Anyway, on. I had one of those, and I remember cashing out in order to watch Lemonade. So it's come full circle. Now I'm doing oh. the same with Disney+. Plus. Um, I mean, it's it, it was a... A visual feast, as we said, for WAP, but in a very different way, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of it's it's a visual album based on the extended soundtrack that Beyonce has made um, as part of the Lion King uh, franchise that got a reboot. Uh, was it last year? And I mean, it's just amazing. There's a lot of there's a lot of African landscapes and a lot of those kind of tableaus that she's sort of almost mm, trademarked yeah. recently, you know, when there's like a still image and there's the camera zooming in on certain faces. Um, the sets are phenomenal, really amazing. Um, and it is, it is fairly political. I think it's as political as you can expect Beyonce to be at this stage, if that makes sense. I mean, she's mm-hmm. still a very mainstream figure and she's working to get quite political issues into the mainstream. Um, I think in the video for Already, which you can watch on YouTube, which okay. is part of the, of the film, um, there's a crowd who are like celebrating with the Pan-African flag, which was originally designed, I think, in 1920 um, as a symbol of unity within the African diaspora overall. So there's kind of visual points like that. Um, and also on the practical side, there are loads of collaborators that she's brought in on the musical side and on the artistic side and in costume design um, who are African designers and creatives. Oh, yeah, which is really good um, and good to see. And I mean, in, in a strange way, almost similar to Cardi B's wanting to promote female talent in her sphere. Yeah. I mean, it's similar that you use your platform to elevate others who need a wider audience or deserve a wider audience. Um, so, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the only thing 
I can say that it isn't just, it was great to watch. Um, it's, it's quite different from Beyonce and Lemonade, her right. other visual albums, which is obviously fair enough. I mean, it's more about celebrating black talent and black ancestry than it is um, her personal kind of music and her, her journey, as it were. Um, but what I missed, which I've come to associate quite a lot with her type of performance, is that she normally has those those just incredible dance routines that yeah. are just so slick and so polished. And that's what, I, that's what I've sort of come to expect from her work. And there was less of that. Interesting. Yeah, which I did think was interesting. Um, but, you know, like in formation. Yeah, I love yeah. formation. Yeah, um, which had all the elements because it had like the landscape and it had... It had the tableau yes. kind of thing. Yeah. And then it had the dancing, whereas Black is King, there's less of that kind of unified rhythmic movement um and more of almost panoramic filming um right. so it's quite different in that respect but yeah really loved it definitely worth How a watch interesting. and something we briefly touched on last week i think um i finished girl woman other by bernardine evaristo uh which won the booker last year joint with margaret atwood's the, the testaments um i mean it's rightly been hugely praised um, it's it's in four sections and each section is made up of three short stories from the perspective of a different woman who they know each other in loose ways so either they're mother and daughter or they can be colleagues and there's a general unity across all the stories because at the end a lot of the characters end up at this um, the premiere of a theatre production that's written by one of the characters so there's all there's like oh. an overarching um, structure um, and it covers a huge range of perspectives each of the chapters are written from a first person perspective of the character so there's um, a lesbian playwright and director who's like ultra feminist but battling with the fact that she's now part of the establishment that she was always on the outside of oh, um, there's a character who identifies as gender free there's a 93-year-old woman who's living on a farm near the Scottish border. Oh I know, it's, it's crazy. You never know what you're going right. to get. Um, and, I mean, overall, I just found... I found it was essentially a lesson in empathy because especially when the characters know each other, you form an opinion of a character that comes up in one story. And then as you read their own perspective or as you read more about their childhood or their experiences or how other people see them it alters your point of view and you, that's really interesting. yeah which is yeah. it's just an eye-opening way to write um from a lot of different perspectives um and the form i don't really know how to talk about things <laughs> like this you're much better <laughs> much better at this than me um but it's written she calls it fusion fiction i think the idea being that it's it's quite poetic because she doesn't use sentences. It kind of... Oh. She uses lines. Um, and she often, like, breaks the lines for emphasis in the middle of sentences. And, and there's no capitalisation. Um, oh, apart no from, capitalization. Like, at the Because there's no sentences. There's no capitalization at the beginning of lines. Interesting. Mm. Um, Does that affect how you read it? Does it make it more difficult to read? No, I found it really easy to okay, read. Okay, that's good. Yeah. I mean, it was almost... I don't know if this is really far-fetched, but it was almost similar to reading stuff on social media. Oh, Because you right. know everything's lowercase. Yeah. And then also, if it's 
I feel like if it's broken up for you, mm. maybe it kind of guides you or... Um, and also, I listened to her on, to Bernadine Evaristo on the How to Fail podcast. Have you listened to uh, that? I haven't. <gasps> I really need you to. You need to. It's so good. Um, well, it was firstly really interesting because Elizabeth Day, who hosts the podcast, is such a good interviewer, I think, because she's very, she's so compassionate and empathetic um, and it's, but she's not doing it in a kind of superficial way. She, mm-hmm. I think she's genuinely really interested in people and their experiences. Um, and you can hear Bernadine Evaristo like softening up throughout the, in- oh, throughout really? the interview. Like she starts off and she, she's not prickly, but she's kind of professional. Yeah. And she's kind of, I think you can tell she's bored of being asked the same questions over and right. over. And she comments a couple of times that Elizabeth Day asks her questions that she hasn't been asked before. And that's clearly oh. like a real thrill at, at this stage of her promoting the book or doing stuff around Girl, Woman, Other. Um, but her point in that, which I found really interesting, was that they get talking about her winning the booker and how that's been an aim of hers for a while and what that means to her. Um, and Elizabeth Day asks her what book she would have written if she was kind of aiming to, quotes, aiming to win the booker. And Bernadine Evaristo says, oh, well, obviously it would have been a book about old white men or something. <laughs> like, fairly, in a, written in a very traditional style, not this fusion fiction thing. Um, and then she moderates that and says, actually, if it was a book about black lives... Oh, I should have said that at the beginning. The vast majority of the characters are women of colour. Oh, OK. Um, and, yeah, she says if it, if it was going to be a book about black lives, that she was, quotes aiming to win the booker with she she would have positioned black people as tragic victims because Mm. that's often a trope that she's noticed that it's almost as if it's acceptable to read about black lives if they're presented as victims and if they're in a kind of oppressed state um which i thought which i thought was a really interesting point because in girl woman other there is trauma, there's sexual violence, there's disappointment in all kinds of ways, but there's also a lot of joy and friendship and support and alongside the difficulties that the women face, there's also, you know, loving relationships and success in their careers and lasting friendships, etc. And and even instances where over a lifetime or over generations they they overcome or outlive the worst forms of racism Mm -hmm. so it's it was just a really nice balance of of presenting a joyful future as well as acknowledging the difficulties of the past and the the struggles that people can go through so yeah I just thought that was yeah that's really interesting that really got me thinking thank you so much for listening I hope you've enjoyed it Tune in next time for another episode of From A to Gen Z.